Well, uh, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, so I'll give you time while I take some time, a little stall tactic. I have to pick up the 300-pound table. Yeah, 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 you figured me out. This, don't let this table fool you. It is a lot heavier than it looks. You should be impressed that I one-handed that. John chapter 5 uh, is where we will be. Uh, it's not, you know, it, it, it's kind of an accident, kind of not. We take the Lord's Supper, we, we take the, the blood and bread of Jesus, but then as you pulled in, you probably noticed the blood drive happening out there. And so uh, if you have time after the service, they'll be here until noon, that you can give blood and, uh, and maybe uh, save a life and reflect on uh, the goodness of Jesus giving his life for us. And a small token, uh, we, we respond in that. Uh, we're in John chapter 5 because we're not really beginning a series as so much as we're continuing a series. Uh, we started uh, back at the beginning of this year. We were we were doing that New Year's resolution moment that churches go through, that you go through. And uh, we were like, well, what is our resolution? What is our plan? What is our goal? What do we want to do for the entire year of 2023? Um, and if you were here that Sunday, we announced, like, we feel like our goal isn't isn't bigger, flashier, more this, you know, yeah, all the excitement. Like, we're not trying to be YouTubers up here. Um, we want to slow down. We feel like that people need a way, need a path to get closer to God. In fact, most people, in my experience, uh, they just believe that there is a God and they want to get closer to him, but it's kind of a confusing proposition. Like, how do I get closer to God? Uh, I don't know how. And so what we wanted to do and what we set out to do at the beginning of this year is we just said, well, let's be that church. If anybody in anywhere that you know, they just want to get from wherever they are right now, one more step closer to God, uh, then, then we want to be the place that knows how to do that and is ready for that. And so how how are we going to go about doing that? We just thought, man, uh, we need to get a really good picture of who Jesus is. And so we started in that first bit of January, we started in the Gospel of John, um, and we announced then we're going to do this in chunks. And so we've already done two chunks. We're going to begin chunk three, or as I've been calling it, season one, season two, and season three. We're now going to begin season three of John, and we want to just look at uh, a few passages from John for the next few weeks and try to get a better look at who Jesus is. And so um, if you watch your favorite Netflix show, there's that moment at the beginning of a season is like, in case you missed it last time on season two, uh, just like, what, where have we been in the Gospel of John? What have we looked at? Uh, when we first opened the book of John, and what we called season one, we just wanted to ask the question, like, who is Jesus? Uh, everybody makes a big deal about Jesus. He's the number one historical figure of all of mankind. Every civilization has a thought about Jesus. There, like, some people know who, like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to, you know, Pol Pot is or something like that, like a random leader uh, of the world. Some people know who that is, some people don't. But if you talk about Jesus, every culture, everywhere around the world has a thought about him. Um, even in your own life, there are people that you go to work with and they have thoughts about Jesus. And it's like, if you ask enough people, they have a ton of different opinions about Jesus. But who did Jesus actually say he was? Who did people who know Jesus well actually say he was? And so we started the book of John just asking the question, who is Jesus? Who does scripture say that he is? And I don't know if you have picked up on this yet, but scripture kind of holds out that Jesus is a big deal. He's kind of the biggest deal of all the deals. He is the reason for creation. Everything exists because of Jesus. That's how big of a statement uh, scripture makes about Jesus. And so we, we looked at that. And at the end of that, when we began season two, uh, we kind of landed with like, Jesus is a really big deal and a really good deal. Like almost too good, honestly. Because when you and I look in the mirror, I don't know if you're like me, 
I see my shortcomings like really loud. Uh, and you're like, yeah, I see your shortcomings too, Jesse. Well, leave me alone, okay? Uh, like when, when I finish a thing, when I, when I go home, when it's just me and my thoughts, I'm very self-incriminating. I'm very, I'm very negative. Uh, I, I, when I see myself, I see all my flaws, all the flaws that I hide from you. And I'm really good at hiding them from you. Uh, but I can't hide them from myself. And if Jesus is as big of a deal as scripture holds him out to be, I can't hide them from him either. And so we asked the question in season two, is like, if Jesus is that good, does he really know this about me? And will he accept me the way that I am? Flaws and all, warts and all. And as we kind of unpack that question in season two, is the answer is yeah, he very well knows the human condition. He knows how we act and how we respond, what our fears are, what our shortcomings are. And he still chooses us. He still chooses you. You, let me just be blunt about it. You haven't made a mistake big enough that Jesus was like, whoa, I didn't die for that one. <laughs> you, you, you don't have that power. You're not that, you're not that good at being bad. Uh, Jesus is that good at being good. He knows you. He knows the real you, not the fake you. And he invites the real you to come to him. And so that's what we looked at in season two. Here's what I want to look at this season. For the next several weeks, I want to ask this question and try to answer it is, does Jesus have the authority to make the claims and follow through on the ones that he made? Does he have the authority to save our souls? Does he have the authority to offer forgiveness? I, I think I think it would be great if someone comes and knocks on your door. Hey, excuse me, I know that you have this mortgage, you have this medical debt, you have some student loan debt. I just want you to know, I'm going to forgive it all. Here you go. It's, it's forgiven. Here's a note. It's like somebody in crayon wrote it on a piece of paper. All of your debts are now forgiven. Would you accept this? And you're like, that sounds a little too good to be true. Excuse me, sir. Do you have a business card? Do you have the authority to make the claim that you're saying? Because that sounds really good. Do you have the authority? Because it's just some crazy guy at your door with a crayon making false claims if he doesn't have the authority to make those claims and make those statements. Does Jesus have the authority? Every Everything in this world banks on authority. I don't know if uh, uh, all my computer nerds out here uh, know what a phishing scam is, phishing with a PH. Someone needs to explain to me why it's not phishing with an F. It's pretty pretty hot in phishing. Uh, phishing with a PH uh, scam, and you get this email. <clears throat> it's like, hi, I'm a prince. Uh, you'll never believe this. Uh, the country took all my money, and I need only 500 of your dollars to unlock 6 million of my dollars. And if you give me 500 of your dollars, I will give you 1 million of my 6 million. And, you know, this will be a great exchange. It's really easy for you. I'm a prince, so you can trust me. And you get that email, you're like, ooh, <laughs> that sounds nice. Uh, let me tell you something real quick. Uh, that that's not a prince, okay? That's just some nerd in a computer trying to get your money. It's just, it's called a phishing scam where they send you this email because they're hoping that you trust this fake authority that they've attached to it um, to to give whatever you're going to give, and then they can never follow through on that. Uh, fake authority is is heartbreaking. My uh, I have two sons. Uh, my oldest is in the room, and he can he can vouch for this. But my youngest, he loves using fake authority because he'll run into the room and he'll say this phrase: "Mom said it's my turn to play the PlayStation." Mom doesn't know anybody's playing the PlayStation right now. Mom was never consulted in this meeting. Uh, or Max, excuse me, my youngest, he, he knows. He's like, I can use mom's authority, even though she didn't give it to me, to get my older brother to do this thing. Mom said, dad said it's time for you to pick up. I, I didn't. You had 10 more minutes, but if you want to pick up, you can. Uh, my youngest son is a Nigerian prince trying to scam his brother. He knows how to get that, get that, that authority. 
uh, used. Fake authority is, it's funny and it's, uh, it's heartbreaking if you fall for it. Oh my gosh, if, if, you, if you believe the authority, my, my family and I, we were planning a Christmas trip one time and we, we thought we were dealing with Airbnb and we sent nearly $800 to someone that we never got the trip and we never, like it's still in litigation, like if they'll ever find the people because we believed in the authority of this person. We got scammed for a considerable sum and missed out on some Christmas stuff. Uh, one day, this was several years ago, the, I have a, one of those doorbells uh, that if you ring it, it pops up on your phone. Uh, it's not ring doorbell, but uh, I forget what brand it is. And uh, so there's this, there's this doorbell, right? And um, Ashley, she texts me. I, I see the doorbell come through, but Ashley's home. I'm at work and I see it come through. And I was like, okay, whatever. It's package. I don't think much of it. And then Ashley texts me. She says, Hey, there's some people here claiming to be the police, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable opening the door. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like who, who comes to my house pretending to be the police? And so I pull up the camera and there's these, uh, two kids. I'm going to say kids. They're under 20, definitely under 20. And they have, uh, like a blue uniform on that they got at Spirit Halloween store with like the, the paper, like badge thing on it. And they say, uh, and, and I can talk through my phone to them. They don't know that I'm not home. I don't at this point want them to know that I'm not home. And I said, what, uh, what, what can I help you with? Oh, sir, we're, we're here. Uh, we're with the sheriff's department. We'd like to ask you a couple of questions. I'm like, go ahead and ask them. What, what would you like to, to know? And um, they, they explained that they're on the hunt for some burglar. And so they, they really need to get some information. They hold up this sheet of paper that's been Xeroxed a thousand times. Like, it just is so bad, so fake looking. And I said, man, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, know, I don't know what you're looking for. Maybe come back at another time. I'll, I'll be happy to help you. I hang up my, I don't hang up my phone. I hang up my doorbell uh, because we live in the future. <laughs> and uh, I, call, I call a sheriff's deputy who patrols my neighborhood. I had his phone number, and I said, hey, did you send, did the sheriff send some people to my house? He's like, no, why, why? Well, two kids, and I sent him a picture from my doorbell. I said, two kids just came to my house claiming to be the sheriff's department, uh, saying that they're working for you, and they're asking questions, and my wife's not going to open the door, and I'm, I'm a little concerned if they're just going door to door. Needless to say, those two kids had the worst day they've ever had because they didn't, they, they weren't trying to be malicious. They were just trying to claim more authority than what was theirs. It turns out they were hired from a security firm to go and try to find a burglar who had been in the neighborhood, but claiming to be a sheriff's deputy when you're not, that's a little felony-ish, you know? Um, and so I think, I think that they learned that you can't just claim authority that isn't yours. And so when we say things in this church, like, Jesus has forgiven you. That sounds great, unless he doesn't have the authority to do it. Unless, what if, what if God the Father didn't send Jesus? What if, what, if, what if Jesus is just pulling Jesse's youngest son's moves, like, Dad said, I can forgive you. Like, does Jesus have the authority to follow through on his claims? Listen to me real quick. If you've never really thought about the Christian faith on this level, this is a very important question to ask and answer. Because a lot of times when we talk about Christianity, when we talk about the gospel, it is accept Jesus into your heart and he will forgive you. And then you feel all warm and fuzzy and great. But the other side of that coin is he must have the authority to come through on it or you're wasting your time. Worse than wasting your time, you're sending your money off to the false king in hopes that you will get the reward that's been promised to you. But if he doesn't have the authority, then then what do we do with it? Uh, 
Matt Chandler, uh, he's talking about the authority of Jesus in his book, uh, The Explicit Gospel. And he says that any hearer of the gospel is left with uh, this need to move. You, you, if, you, if you listen to the gospel, you either have to move towards Jesus because you find him credible, or you have to move away from Jesus. If, if you sit on the fence, it's, it's, not, it's not an option because the authority uh, is in question. And uh, before we look at the scripture, one last thing is, uh, I really think uh, when, when I plan this series uh, to land on a authority. I didn't, I didn't think about it on these terms, but I really think that this is, matters more today than it had maybe two or three years ago. Um, we, we've gone through a lot of ages as a society. We've gone through like the industrial age where we built Ford cars. And then we've gone through like uh, the, the information age. The internet comes up and all this information. You have access to everything you could dream of right now. But everybody agrees that we're in a new age now. They just can't agree on what to call it or what it's going to be about. I think that we're moving into this age of authority where it's we have all the information at our hands. All the news sources you could ever want are at your hands right now. And then the question becomes like, who are you going to trust? How many times does someone say something like, well, I heard on the news, blah, 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 blah. And then your first question out of your mouth is like, but which news? We, we no longer trust just the information and the data. We want to know where it came from because we evaluate where it came from as to whether or not it has the authority or accuracy. So I, I feel like Knowing who to trust and where to trust things is very important right now. We're gonna, we're gonna be in chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse 18, uh, and we'll see where we're going to get today. If we were reading John the way that it was meant to be read, we would have just finished, you know, verse 17, because that's how numbers work. <laughs> and uh, what, what's happened in chapter 5 and chapter 4, in chapter 4, Jesus goes to the woman uh, at the well. He's in Samaria. There's that whole moment. And then at the end of that, Jesus stays in Samaria several more days, and they marvel at his teachings. They're, they're so impressed with him. When Jesus leaves the woman at the well, uh, he heals, excuse me, an official son, and then he heals this man at the pool at the Sabbath. And everybody's really just mad at Jesus because he's healing everybody on the Sabbath. And so they've started asking questions like, hey, who has the authority? They started asking the question, who has the authority to heal on the Sabbath? I don't think you do, Jesus. And so verse 18 picks up with this. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, what's interesting to me is that if, if you're just kind of a, kind of a passerby on Christianity, it's, it's kind of a question like, why is everybody so mad at Jesus all the time? Like, he's doing really fun things. He turns water into wine. Uh, he, if you got somebody sick, you get close to him, he heals them. Uh, he's talking to people who people don't really like to talk to. And then, and then at some point, they go and hang him on the cross. Why are they so mad at Jesus all the time? And so right in the middle of John, like he tells us, the reason why people are mad at Jesus is because he's doing things on the Sabbath and then he claims to have authority, and they don't think it's his to claim. Um, this, is, this is important because they're questioning what we should be questioning. They're questioning, does Jesus have the authority to make the claims that he makes? Of course, myself and many of you in this room and uh, the Gospel of John, just spoiler alert, lands with Jesus definitely has the authority for this. But you should ask yourself the question, does Jesus have the authority? And so beginning in verse 19, what Jesus does is that he responds to them with a huge like legal statement. I'm not going to read every verse, but like... Just real quick, if you have your Bible, it's all this red stuff is just one speech that Jesus gives uh, in response to them asking, hey, do you have the authority to do this? And I just want to pull out a few um, uh, verses and, and just kind of un untangle the knot a little bit for us. So verse 19, here's how Jesus responds. 
Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Whenever, when Jesus begins with truly, truly, you need to key in on what he's trying to do. As a teacher, he knows some of the things that he says are a little hard to handle, a little hard to take in. And so when Jesus begins with like truly, truly, if you have the old King James in front of you, verily, verily, you have to say it like way down in the bottom of your throat. Truly, truly, Jesus knows what he's saying is, is a big pill to swallow, but he's saying that it's important that you know those. Trust me, take my words of this. Truly, truly, what I'm about to say is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What Jesus begins with saying is, Listen, I'm not coming here saying that I have authority independent of God. He's saying the, the Father has ultimate authority. Can we all agree on that? And of course, any of the Jews listening to this is like, yeah, that's kind of our problem right now is that God has ultimate authority. Um, we live in, uh, you know, here modern day America. Um, the question of does God have ultimate authority is actually a question that a lot of people have conversations about. It's assumed in Jesus's audience right now, definitely God, the creator, Yahweh, Old Testament, all, all he definitely has authority. Nobody questions that. But I just want to ask you the question. Does does God have authority? Because it matters to, to Jesus. Um, does God have authority as creator of the universe to say whatever he says is good and that's good? For these are the rules by which I expect my creation to live by. This is what I want people to do. Does God have that authority? Because what Jesus is claiming is that as the son, God the father has delegated the responsibility, the authority, the, the, um, the leadership to me. Uh, not me, Jesus, or me, Jesse, me, you know, Jesus is saying that. He's saying God the Father has delegated it to the Son. Um, this is hard for us to understand as Americans, this idea of delegating authority to another person, but it's very common in, in the world. Has anybody ever watched the movie 300? I don't know what it's rated, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't even know if this movie exists, so I'm not advocating for the movie, uh, in, in case it has anything in it that I, isn't coming to mind. Um, the movie 300 is, uh, it's a fantastical movie. It's about, uh, the Spartans, Persia coming in to conquer or try to conquer the Spartans and these 300 soldiers, like, standing up against Xerxes and the entire Persian Empire and stopping them. It's, if you're a dude, this is like fight movie galore. Right at the beginning of the movie, the king of Sparta, Leonidas, he's my Finding his own business. He's just at home uh, with his wife and everybody's like, they're having like a festival or something. And this dude marches into the center square and he says, I'm a messenger of Xerxes. And he says, well, okay, well, what's your message? And the short of it is, is like, hey, your land is now my land. We have now conquered you. Bow to us. And uh, Leonidas, he looks around, and uh, as any good husband, he looks at his wife, and he's like, hey, you okay if I do this thing? And she's like, do it. And you know, she does like a little wink. And Leonidas puts his foot on that man's chest and punts him into a bottomless pit. Uh, and it literally is bottomless in the movie. Uh, and immediately they're at war with Persia. Um, why? One man. He only kicked one man. Why is he at war with Persia? Because that one man claim to have the authority of Xerxes in that moment. And whatever you do to that man, whatever you say to that man is as if you did it unto Xerxes himself. And likewise, whatever that man says to you, whatever promises he makes to you is binding on the king of Xerxes. Why? Uh, king of Persia, Xerxes. Because when authority is delegated in that way, it is 
fully delegated. And what Jesus is claiming is that as the Son of God, the Father has delegated to me the authority to have uh, uh, knowledge over the affairs of man, to judge over the affairs of man, and to bring life. And he says uh, at the end of verse 20, he says, uh, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What a great word that is marvel. You know, we, we, we live uh, with Marvel Cinematic Universe, and so we see the word marvel a lot. When I always thought of the word marvel, I always thought of it as like a, ooh, you know, like, like, uh, you marvel and your jaws dropped at the ground. It's like, it's like when, uh, when, I don't know, you're like at the halftime show and the cheerleaders do that flip in the air and it's just like, what? Like, how did that girl not die? Uh, you marvel at like all the spectacle. Um, and that's part of it in Greek, uh, this jaw on the floor thing. But there's something, when I looked this up, I had to look it up to know it because I don't see it in English. Uh, there's something more going on there. The word marvel in Greek is, I'm going to try to pronounce it, uh, thaumatso, thaumatso, uh, if you want to impress your friends later, uh, thaumatso. And it means to cause wonder. That's kind of that ooh moment. It means to regard with amazement. That's kind of what we mean in English, but it has this added bit to it. And with a suggestion, of beginning to speculate on the matter. See, what Jesus says when he says, I'm going to do these things so that you may marvel, he's not saying, I'm doing these things so that you look how cool I am. Like, I've got little party tricks. I'm going to raise a guy from the dead later. Wham, wham. And then you're just like, yay, bravo. Love the entertainment. Water into wine. Sweet. I love it. Uh, no, Jesus says, I'm going to do these works so that you may start to speculate on whether or not I have the authority to make the claims that I'm going to make. These signs, these things that I'm doing, are, are evidence that I have the authority to do them. You should begin to speculate and ask the questions like, okay, what does that mean for me? Does Jesus have authority over me? He continues, verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Again, Jesus is like, he's, he's painting the full picture. You realize if, if God the Father sent Jesus, then how we treat Jesus is how we're treating God the Father. Um, it is, it is impossible to say, well, I'm pretty good with God, and then to be really blasé and passive about who Jesus is. He says that the Father judges uh, and the Father gives life. And he says, I, the Son, give life to whom I will. Here's, here's the promise that Jesus is making to you. Um, he says that he has the authority to judge us and he has the authority to give us life. He has the authority to judge us. To Are we right? Are we wrong? And he has the authority to give us life. Um, everybody in this room wants life. Every, every action you do to bring yourself joy, every hobby you have, every, everything we run to is an attempt at life. When we're raising our children and we say, we don't do that, but we do do this instead, the this is meant to bring life. It's meant to bring hope. We, we want abundant life. We want our life to make sense. We want our life to be full. And what Jesus is claiming is that he has the authority to bring it. What do you do? What do you do 
when you need life. I just realized, um, my wife told me that I need to stop doing this because I look like I'm pondering more. And I never realized how much I've done that until she said it. Now it's all I can think about. <laughs> this is what I do when I want life. I just sit and think how smart I am. Um, what, what do we run to when we need life, when we need peace, when we're feeling insecure? Whatever we do when we're feeling small to overcome that smallness is us on the quest for life. And Jesus's claim is that he's the one who has the authority to give it, to make your life full, to give you purpose, to give you hopes and dreams that are bigger than you. Verse 24, he goes on, he says, truly, truly, there's that phrase again, you're not going to believe this, but I'm telling you, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. He says, if you hear Jesus, you receive his word, you have eternal life from that moment. It's, it's, a, it's a consequence of trusting in his authority that you have life. And if you don't accept it, you already have judgment. What, what Jesus is doing, he's playing a little, a little game here about what he has the right to do and what he's choosing to do. He has the right to judge us and to give us life, but what he's choosing to do is just, he's not here to judge. He's not here to bring judgment. He'll say later in this uh, uh, this whole speech, he'll say, Moses already brought enough evidence of what judgment is there. I'm just going to leave that in the law. I'm going to leave that in God. My job is, if you receive me, is life, to bring life. Uh, John 10.10, 10, we'll get to it in a probably next year sometime as we're working through John. But he talks about life again. He says uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus's goal for us as, as followers of him is that we would live the life that we were meant to live, that we would live this fullness of life. Let me ask this question, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're, if you're really like, hey, I'm a follower and I'm just wanting to take the next step getting closer to him, or you're like, I'm really, I'm, I'm just testing some things. I'm just listening. I want to know if this makes sense. How's, how's your life right now? How full is it right now? How, uh, to use the words from John 10, 10, how abundant is your life right now? Jesus is making this claim because of who he is and the authority that's been given to him. Life is his. This is, by the way, when, when we use Jesus Christian words, when we say Lord, this is what we mean. We mean we're bowing to the authority of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord, is to say, I submit to his authority. I surrender to him. When you're praying, I don't know if you know this or not, when you're praying and at the end, maybe someone taught you like, hey, listen, at the end of your prayers, say whatever you're going to say, all the things you're going to ask for, say all the things you're going to ask for. And at the end of the prayer, what are we supposed to say? In the name of Jesus. That's not how we hang up the phone with God. It's not like, I love you too. And then, then you hang up. It's, it's When we say in the name of Jesus, we're banking what we just said on the authority of Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, then in the name of Jesus, rescue my children from this. If Jesus is who he says he is, then in the name of Jesus, heal my wife of this. If Jesus is who he says he is, then in the name of Jesus, do this thing that is bigger than what I can do. When we pray our prayers and we end it in the name of Jesus, we are confessing and relying on and declaring the authority that Jesus claims to have. This is, this is like a really big thing to unpack because this question is the reason why 
the Jewish leaders hung Jesus on the cross. They crucified him because they said, you do not have the authority. When we live our lives in such a way as we ignore what Jesus says, we know Jesus wants this. We're like, eh, this is a little bit better over here. I'm going to go over here. Then we're saying, no, Jesus, you don't have authority over this section of my life. I'm going to do it this way. Jesus claims all authority is his. Let me, let me jump down to verse 39. Again, I'm skipping some of this. It's a long speech. Uh, again, this entire speech is written in like and spoken in like a, a legal setting. It's almost like this is the testimony he would give if brought in before a court. Um, but skip down to verse 39. I want to read a couple more verses here. He's, he's looking at these Jewish leaders and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You keep opening your Bible, he said, and you keep reading what Moses wrote because you think that in them you're going to find that eternal life. You're going to find that life that has been promised. You're going to find that life that you've been looking for your entire life. You search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. He's saying, if you read the scriptures, and this, if you're Jewish or if you're a student of the Old Testament, the scriptures have this big hanging cliffhanger at the end of someone is supposed to come and make all this stuff make sense. They call him Messiah. There's a dangling cliffhanger like, who's going to be that person? And Jesus is telling them, you should be looking for someone who's making claims like this, and yet you're dismissing me. And instead of finding life in the one in whom God sent, you're trying to find life in the scriptures. I think I think that if Jesus were making the speech in the American church today, he would he would say to a lot of people, you, you spend so much time studying the Bible and so little time submitting to what it says. Uh, so many churches, they, they, they can parse all the Greek verbs and they can tell you every story of the Bible and they can say, you need to study your Bible more. You need to study your Bible more. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of you don't need to study your Bible more. It's a good idea if you do. What you need to do is do what you already know the Bible tells you to do. What, what, let me turn it around because I'm not trying to wag my finger. What I need to do is stop digging in Scripture for the next truth and start submitting to the truths that I already know are there. Why? Because Jesus has authority over my life. And he says I should love my enemies. He says that I should forgive people with like scandalous forgiveness. He says that I should lay down my life for other people. And I'm like, well, I'll get to that when I get to it. But what's next? Jesus is like, I don't have a next for you. Submit to what you already know is true. And Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, you keep searching the scriptures because you think you're going to find eternal life in there. Where do you run to when you're looking for life? People run to relationships. They bounce out of one to another because they're going to find their significance in their spouse, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, their husband, their wife. They, they, they run to work. I, I can't figure out how to work at home. I, I'm not successful at home, so I'm going to run to work where I can be successful. I'm going to find my life there. They find life in substance. I feel so small and I can't process all of my feelings. And so they run to drink or smoke or whatever. And, and those things have a negative health effect, but they promise life and then they come up short. People run to the mall or to Amazon. They're like, I feel so bored. I feel so small. You know what's going to make me feel great? This Amazon Prime deal is going to make me feel so great. It's not. It's not. And the postman would love it if you just stopped ordering so much. We get stuff. And the stuff doesn't make us as happy as the commercial makes it sound. We get the makeup. It doesn't make us happy. We get the food, the drink. The, there's no joy in any of it, is there? And some of you have lived long enough to know that you've tried every one of those. And it's just like, it comes up short. And Jesus says, why do you keep running to these things when life is in me? 
The life that we've been looking for, and we all look for it in different ways, but the life we've been looking for is found in Jesus, and he claims to have the authority. He says, they bear witness about me, verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He says, you just, you're just refusing. You're not, you're not coming to me. Um, you can read the rest of this speech on your own. He makes a really great case. He's a guy, Jesus is this guy. I love, I love the, the, it's almost like a juxtaposition. He claims to have the authority and he makes no waiver about it, but he doesn't demand allegiance. He says, if it's true, you should follow me. You know, there's so many people in our lives that they have this title, they have this authority, and then they demand your allegiance. I am your supervisor. You will turn in that TPS report right now. Uh, really, I don't really trust people who have to remind me of what authority they have and they demand it. Um, the adults, the coaches in our lives that they just, they scream, I am the coach of this team and you will do what I say. Why do you feel the need to bring that up? Jesus as an opposite to that is this calm, collected person of, if I have the authority, it should make sense for you to submit to that. Make your choice. He's very, he's very gentle with it. He's unassuming. He's not wavering. He doesn't, he doesn't shy away from the fact that he has the authority. He's not like, well, you know, uh, you guys voted me president, so maybe do what I say. He's, he's confident and not demanding. The, the claims that Jesus makes are this, is that God has the ultimate authority. Is that true? Do you find that to be true to yourself? Do you believe that there is a God, there is a creator, and all of these things would fall under his domain? Yes or no? Then the claim is that God the Father has delegated all the authority to judge the affairs of men and all the authority to give life to people to the Son. And Jesus is the Son. And so the question is, is that true? Does, does he have the authority to bring life and judgment? At the, at the end of this, Jesus says, is that I'm going to do these things so that you can marvel on it. Uh, listen, Christian, when's, when's the last time you've, you've marveled about what God has done to with amazement, just sit and ponder it. Kind of the instructions as we took the Lord's Supper a moment ago, like we just sit and thought like the cross, man, I did need that. And then as we pondered it to move to marvel, we begin to speculate on the implications of that. When do you speculate on like what the Lord is wanting to, to do in your life? At the, at the end of it all, the promise of scripture is that you will find abundant life in Jesus when you surrender to his authority over your life. Not when you pray a prayer and sprinkle little, you know, like I said all the right words over your life. It is a full surrender of your life. If, if you're kind of dabbling, like you're just like, I have a couple of questions about Christianity, and so I'm listening. The, 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 the request or the thing to consider, the thing to speculate right now is, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? To call him Lord is to say, I'm not the Lord anymore. You're the Lord. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're not saved and you want to be saved, it is to surrender to Jesus as Lord. But to most of you, most of you in here, you're like, yeah, I'm already a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. What am I supposed to do? What, what are you being called to surrender to him right now? There is not a corner of your heart that is not under his authority rightfully. 
but we're, you know, we're kind of stingy people. I'm, I'm going to give Jesus all the corners of my heart that go to church, but these corners of my heart that go to work, I'm going to hang on to them. I'm not ready to surrender those yet. I would tell you that Jesus is inviting you to surrender that corner of your heart too. He's inviting you to surrender how you work. He's inviting to surrender how you do family, how you are a husband or a wife. If you're a child in here, how you are a child in your home, surrender that to your Lord Jesus. If you're a parent, how you raise your children, surrender that to Jesus. What would it look like if your life was 100% fully surrendered to all of the teachings of Jesus? And some of you are like, oh man, that's a tough request. I know they killed him for it. It was hard for them too. It's been hard since the beginning of him saying it. But the promise of scripture is that he has the authority to bring life. And that if we surrender to his authority, we get life as a result, not bondage. You surrender your marriage to the ways of Jesus, your marriage gets life. You surrender your parenting to the ways of Jesus, your parenting gets life. You surrender your students, your your schoolwork and how you interact with your teacher to the ways of Jesus, your school gets life. Those corners of your heart get life. Do you want life. And you don't have to make the decision right now. I'm only inviting you to marvel about it, to marvel about the claims of Jesus, and then to begin to speculate on the matter. If that's true, then let your imagination wander. That's what Jesus invited them to do, to begin to marvel at this. He doesn't demand that they follow him. The next story, what we'll look at next week, is like he's like, peace, I'm out. He tells them the speech. He's like, I'm going to go feed 5,000 people. That's what we're going to look at next week. He just doesn't demand it. He tells you what is, and then marvel or don't marvel. Some people followed him. Some people sought all the more to kill him. You cannot stand still. Chandler was right. When we hear the gospel, we either move towards Jesus or we move away from Jesus. The standing where we were isn't an option. It's impossible to happen. And so what direction are you heading? What are you speculating on now? The promise of scripture is that you will find abundant life in Jesus when you surrender to his authority over your life. Let me pray over you and then we'll watch the cue together. Father, Father, I pray for us that um, as, we, as we speculate, as we consider your words, your offer, so we just think about what that means, that you would have authority. I pray first and foremost that you would increase the faith of so many people in here that just never thought about this in terms of authority. It was always just a hope that you were powerful enough, that you were strong enough. Um, Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus, uh, men and women would be, uh, be given more courage this morning, more, more faith, uh, more emboldenment, more freedom. Lord, I pray for those of us in here who are just considering different ways to surrender to you, uh, that you would give them the, the courage to lay down that corner of their life. Um, I pray, Father, that uh, you would even save people, that those who hear my voice, whether in this room or later online, um, Lord, that they would just consider, are you Lord? Are you who you say you are? And if the answer is yes, that they would submit their life in the name of Jesus to you and that they would receive eternal life and walk in that newness of life uh, today. Lord, over, over all of this, I pray that you would teach us ways, new ways to surrender to you um, and that those corners of our, of our homes, those corners of our families would see this life that you're offering. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our floundering, uh, but you came uh, and you showed us the way. Uh, We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.